Hello, good morning. Um, so I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jessica. Well, as I said, my name's Cameron, and it's so good to be with you. Oh, Joe's here! <laughs> we were just talking about you. I, I feel like the consensus is that the potluck kind of lives or falls on your participation. <laughs> did, you bring, did you bring some food today? Yeah? <laughs> Days saved. <laughs> no, no pressure for next time, though. Oh, man. Uh, well, yeah, my name's Cameron. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the lead pastor here. And some of you know we're, we're going to step into... Uh, a four-week vision series for us, as this is just a strategic time of the year to, to you know, there's a, there's a physical sense of regathering as, you know, so much of the scatteredness over the summer with people traveling, being out of town, whatever, kind of, kind of recongeals as uh, kids are back in school and that sort of thing. Um, and so we just take it as a strategic moment to sort of each year chart a course for what the next year of life together as a church community uh, could look like. Um, some of you, this is your first time visiting, and that's wonderful. We're so glad you're here. This is actually a wonderful way to just get a little window into what this church is about as you're trying to maybe make a decision about where you're going to commit yourself um, uh, in terms of church family. So we'll jump in. So first, first of all, maybe what I should say is, what is a vision series? Um, well, a series like this is an opportunity to sort of just, just look up and set sort of a destination before us that we can pursue together. It's an opportunity to call us to, to something, to a destination, to a direction, and a chance to place a marker that we can kind of direct our time and our energy and our gifts and our talents and our hearts toward. Um, and a vision can come from anywhere, and it can be pointed in any direction, and, uh, you know, Especially if you're in like the corporate world, you've probably heard your fair share of sort of like inane vision statements. <laughs> Actually, if you've been around churches, you've heard your fair share of inane vision statements as well. They always risk just being kind of like, okay, sure, whatever, that's fine. And they can come from anywhere, they can be pointed anywhere, but we're, we're Christians. We're, we're disciples of Jesus, at least the majority of us in this room. We are believers in a king who is alive, who reigns, who guides, who directs, who speaks, and therefore we can't settle for a vision that comes just from a man or a woman. We need to strive for one that comes from God. Um, so we 
To that end, we could, we could pick at random basically any of the major sort of central commands or themes of the Bible and have a plenty fine, and I genuinely mean that, like a plenty fine, good, God-honoring vision for the year. But we could still have that and miss what God wants for us uniquely as this community, Door of Hope Northeast, specifically right now in this season of our lives. Um, so it's, it is deadly serious to me deadly serious to me that I never pretend to say, thus saith the Lord, when he has not spoken with the degree of clarity that that phrase, has implied, that, that phrase implies. To, to date, that has been zero times in my life. Maybe it will be one day. Maybe I'll have a burning bush moment. I want to say at the outset that I have not had a burning bush at Mount Sinai moment or a blinded on the Damascus road moment of revelation in the past three months, and I'm not going to pretend that I have. Uh, but we have all together been in a process of discernment over the last months, whether you knew it or not. It started at an elders retreat, elders families retreat back in February, where we started prayerfully asking God to reveal what was on his heart for our church and just writing down the desires that were cropping up within us. And it continued through organic conversations and unsolicited messages from various members of the community here. And it culminated over the past month or so as Justin downstairs in the kids ministry and I had been reaching out to the people, the volunteers, the leaders that we work with um, and asking these kinds of questions. What is on your heart? What are you experiencing in terms of the greatest needs of our church? What are you praying for? And while I don't want to pretend that every single thing that was given back was uniform or the exact same thing, there was a shocking, remark, remarkable amount of thematic consistency between all those groups, between the leaders and servants of our church. The main themes were clear, they were seriously deep biblical values, and they were consistent among the elders, staff, and lay leaders of our church. And so, my friends, I think that means that God has indirectly spoken through and to us. Like the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, I think I can stand with confidence before you and say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to call us somewhere specific this year. And it's not earth shattering. It's not some brand new revelation. In fact, if I claim that, you should just leave. You should run for the hills. That'd be, that'd be bad. It's not that either. Um, but it is the thing, it seems, it really seems that God has laid on this community's collective heart. And if I could sum it up in one word, the word would be deeper. Deeper. This time last year, September last year, there was kind of a buzz in the air around our church about how it, it, it sort of felt like a reboot or a relaunch. Um, of our community after its crazy beginnings launch. I mean, if you didn't, don't know our church's history, Door of Hope is a, oh gosh, maybe 14-year-old church, church in the city. And they sent us out to plant a sister church two weeks before COVID, like shut the world down. So we were hearing rumblings of there's this COVID-19 thing. It's probably not gonna amount to much, you know, but so we're gonna stick to our date. And so we did. We had a worship gathering March 1st, a worship gathering on March 8th, and then it was the chaos of like scattering uh, for, for a long time. So that was the, the, the origin of our church, and really it took until about last fall for there to be any sense of like, okay, who, it is now clear like who is still a part of this community. We're gathered together and we're moving forward somewhere together. Really last year was the first year to me that felt anything like a normal 
church experience in our history. Um, To add to that, over these past few months, um, a consistent observation you've all made is that, that we have an incredibly mature and faithful core group of people that anchor this church. There is a goodness and a sweetness in this community that signifies the Spirit of God at work, I genuinely believe. But another consistent observation alongside that is that amidst that maturity and that faithfulness and that stability, there's also a level of exhaustion, a level of reservedness, and possibly a level of complacency with both God and with one another. Honestly, that's not that bad of a place to be. It's really not. It's really not. It's a place we can be thankful for, but it is a place despite plenty of beautiful things happening where many of us can't shake the sense that there is like something more for us than what we're currently experiencing. The image in my head that I've, sh- I've shared with a few of you has just been, and I use this metaphor quite often, but, but uh, it applies in this circumstance especially. The image in my head is that it feels like the past year of kind of soft relaunching our church has felt like a year of sort of gathering kindling. You know, people have been showing up, people have been faithful, people have been serving where they can, people have been praying, and each one of those little acts of faithfulness and hope is just like bringing a little bit more dry brush onto a pile. And there's a real ember burning under there. It's not to say that this church is dead. I firmly believe this is a healthy, beautiful, God-honoring, faithful church. And there's an ember burning underneath all that brush, a real fire from God himself. God has been at work and God is at work, but I just have this sense that we're really close to him finally sort of setting all that kindling ablaze into something new. And that blaze bringing with it a deeper, undismissible communion with God. A deeper communion and vulnerability and bearing the burdens of one another in community here. And deeper deeper communion and love and service to and witness to our city here in Portland. Um, So it's time, basically, like the consistent aching desire, not just from myself, but from, from everyone, it seems, who's deeply invested in this church, is that it's time to go deeper. It's time to throw ourselves at our Lord in the bold hope that there are deeper, better things that he wants to do in our midst. And so it occurred to me as I was over these months been reflecting and thinking and jotting down all kinds of notes and scratch paper and just like trying to praying and trying to get a sense of what what to say in a moment like this. It occurred to me we already had a framework for a call to deeper pursuit in these specific areas, the areas that our community has been naming, and that's the four pillars of Door of Hope that have guided us since the beginning. The cross, community, simplicity, and the city. These are the four kind of vision values that, that sort of filter every decision that we make as a church. But I want to explore those through the lens of, of these things that so many of us are burdened for, longing for, hoping for specifically. And I would just say at the get-go, you know, out of the gate, that, that four sermons is, is practically nothing in terms of what it takes to to move a community, to move ourselves towards these deeper realities. Only God can make this happen. But for my part, I will say, this honestly isn't just going to be a one-off thing that we just kind of, well, we did these four messages, and now it's kind of back to the back to the grind of, of whatever else kind of, you know, like a squirrel, cha- you know, no, dog chasing squirrel. You know, oh, here's another thing. Let's go do that. 
We are going to push our gatherings, our community groups, our prayers, and even the whole year's teaching schedule to continue this, this, to set this destination before us. And so we start the conversation now, these four weeks, but we continue it for this entire ministry year. And honestly, with something as big and as wide as just deeper communion with God and with one another, we will never depart from this path. This is the path. It's the path of every church in some ways. We're not reinventing the wheel here. But I think this is, this is the word God has for us right now where we are in our lives. And so if I'm even half right that this is what God is calling us into, then we can do no less than pursue it with everything we have. So first, let's pray. Pray with me. Lord, this is a special moment. Um, this is a special moment for our church and Lord, you know, not, not every person who calls this church home is here today for all kinds of various reasons, including a handful of people that I know that are sick, Lord, um, this week. I pray that you would be with them, comfort them, heal them. Um, but Lord, this, this room represents certainly the critical mass of people that, uh, that call this church home. And we pray, Father, for your vision, for your guidance, for your wisdom, for your leading, for your calling of us exactly where you would have us go. And it's not, uh, it's not something radically new. It's not something maybe even that sounds that exciting to many of us, Lord, but, but it does seem that it is for us right now, Lord. A call to greater depth. A call to greater depth, Lord. So we just, in desperation, Lord, we, we, we say to you, we can't force this. There's no program we can institute that, it, that, that brings about deep, rich communion with the God of the universe. There's no talk that can be given, Lord. There's no book that can be read. There's no class that can be taken. We are utterly at your mercy. But that's a good place to be because you're so merciful and so loving, Lord. So we ask for your help. We give this time to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first, the first aspect of this, as, we, as I mentioned, is the cross, the idea that we, we would go deeper through the cross. Because it's often said that the cross, the, 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 res, the death of Jesus, and of course, when you speak of the death of Jesus, you start talking, that becomes shorthand for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which presupposes Christ incarnated, living a holy, perfect, blameless life, a beautiful life of, of healing and of liberation and of uh, grace and mercy and supernatural acts and miracles and all these things. It also presupposes that he was killed, that he was buried, but that he was raised bodily, truly, genuinely from the dead that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he lives and reigns now, that he sent his spirit into this world to empower and equip his church for its task until he returns, which we believe will happen one day as well. The cross is the center of the scriptures. All of the Old Testament looks forward to it. The New Testament reflects back on it and its significance. It is the center of our church. It's the center of the Christian life. It's the center of the Bible. It is the center. And in this passage in 1 Corinthians 1 that Jessica read for us, um, we see a number of specific things about it. I kind of want to highlight three, and then there's, there's a fourth we'll talk about as well. But the first is that 
And I know this is Christianity 101, but sometimes we need that. The first is that the cross is life. The cross is life. Don't miss the significance of what Paul says here. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. It's complete idiocy to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That word salvation, it's rescue, it's deliverance, it's saving. Through Jesus' death and seeming defeat on the cross, he secured salvation for all who would receive it. And I just say to us, Door of Hope, that that means that the cross is the deepest matter of life and death. It's not just cutesy Christianese. It's not just like, yeah, yeah, we sing our songs about that, whatever. It is the center point on which life and death hangs. The cross, <laughs> to lose our centering on the cross would be to forfeit the power of every single thing that we do. The cross, the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf and in our place is the means by which we are saved from the death that is staring down the track every single one of us and brought into a life that can never be taken from us even by death itself. The cross is the key that unlocks the promises and blessings of God. The cross is the securer of our hopes and dreams for a, a life to come that is full of nothing but the goodness and glory and grace and goodness and generosity and peace and beauty of God. Life with him reigning in the new heavens and the new earth. Think of the words of Peter. In Acts 4.12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The cross is the only means of salvation, of life. Abundant, rich, full life in the here and now and eternal life to come with one another and with our God. There is no more beautiful message, no better message, no truer message than God in his great love, even for his enemies who had rebelled and pulled away from him to lay down his life to rescue and to redeem. A God who was so discontent to be distant from us that he enacted this cosmic plan to come and die in our place to bring us home. May we never grow numb to this door of hope. May we never think we move past it or graduate into something more profound or something better because the cross is life. The cross is life. But we're also reminded in this passage that the cross is timeless and unchanging. And we see that in verses 19 through 21. Paul says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has he not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And so in proclaiming the superiority of this message of the cross over against the wisdom of the wise, the scribes representing the experts in the law or the debaters of this age, the wisdom of the world itself. Paul is highlighting the ever-wise, unchanging, ageless, timeless nature of the cross, of the gospel, of the whole counsel of God we find in the scriptures. 
So if we're to take Paul at his word here, it means to cling to the cross keeps us unshakably tethered to the ancient tradition of historic Orthodox Christianity. I just want to be very clear about that. We are striving and doing our imperfect best, we should admit, out of the gate to, in the words of the New Testament author Jude, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The message of Jesus, of course, must be carefully discerned, and there are deep and meaningful differences between, say, a Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, and even, heck, the various Protestant denominations. Differences that are worth dividing over, differences that really matter, differences that we don't just paper over. But the healthiest expressions of each of these main branches of Christianity embrace a core of historic orthodoxy marked by faith in Jesus, the authority of the scriptures, commitment to the early creeds of the church as faithful summaries of the apostles' teachings, and in places, just consistent agreement across time and cultures, time and cultures about all kinds of various issues that come up from time to time. So even in our little three-and-a-half-year-old, you know, non-denominational Protestant church here, we are committed, we are committed to this faith delivered once for all, the historic Christian faith. We are not pursuing a culturally conservative Christianity, which causes many Portlanders to just exhale in relief. Oh, thank God. Thank God we're not doing that. Nor are we pursuing a culturally progressive Christianity which causes many Portlanders to grit their teeth. We are bowing to the one true King Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Here Paul is telling us that to conform Jesus to the wisdom of our day is to become a fool. And we believe him. We must believe him. The cross is timeless and it's unchanging. So much more we could say about that, but we're going to move on to the third point, which is that the cross is alienating. And I know I don't have to tell you guys this. Um, actually, that should, I, have type, I have a typo there. Verse 22 through 25 is what we're looking at. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul is reminding us that the cross is problematic, and it's off-putting to virtually everyone in their own way. His examples are that Jews, who typically look for powerful supernatural signs from the prophets of God, that's what he's referencing, that's what they look for, powerful supernatural signs. And what, how did God chiefly reveal himself? He revealed the power of his son through a humiliating death on the cross. Not through someone who was vindicated by their incredible acts of, you know, their miracles. Of course, Jesus did miracles. Of course, he displayed the power of God in all kinds of ways. But the chief moment, the moment that becomes the stumbling block that makes people go, I can't do it, is the cross. His greatest act of love, where the king of the universe becomes the one crucified, publicly naked, humiliated, beaten, tortured, and killed on a Roman torture device. We want great power and signs, and he gives you a bloody Messiah hanging on the tree. 
His other example is the Greeks. The Greeks with their sophisticated philosophy, genuinely sophisticated philosophy, they look for logical argument that flows neatly from their first principles. They're looking for wisdom. And yet God revealed the truth about his son in an act not of scholarly discourse, but of incomprehensible sacrificial love. Love, bleeding love. And we don't have to just leave it to those two groups. It is no less so in Portland in 2023. The cross will provide its own unique offense to the various groups and individuals that make up our city, including you and including me. If you're not offended at some point by the cross, I think we haven't quite looked at it closely enough. If it doesn't prick you from time to time, if it doesn't make you sweat at time to time, we maybe are not giving it an honest look. The cross will seem a scandal to some, complete idiocy to others, offensively regressive to others still. And I say this periodically, but we've got to become comfortable, Paul would urge us, with the uncomfortableness of carrying a message that will be mocked, that will be hated, that will be misunderstood. And I hate that, friends. I'm probably one of the biggest people pleasers in this room, I'm guessing. I love to just be the cool guy that I'm not that cool, but you know, in a manner of speaking, that just kind of gets along with everybody, unoffensive. I really do. I, really, I picked the wrong job, man. <laughs> we all did. We all did when we gave our allegiance to Jesus. We picked the wrong job to be his witnesses, to be his witnesses in the world. The temptation will always be, it has always been and it will always be until he returns to bend Jesus to suit the tastes of the day. But we must stand firm alongside our suffering, crucified Savior and those who have done the same across time and all the cultures of the world, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who've been willing to count the cost of following him. We are meant to be a counterculture that will be prophetically out of step with the world, not because we hate the world, but for the good of the world, because we love the world, because we want the world to come to know the truth and the beauty and the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance, amen? I'll say this very clearly. Portland does not need us to be cool. I was talking with somebody a few weeks ago. He's like, Door of Hope Northeast kind of reminds me of like early Door of Hope, but just like totally uncool. <laughs> I was like, I think that's right. It reminds me of that too. Because I was around back in the Henson Annex days just as a, a member of the church. That is kind of what it feels like. There's something here that's like kind of has that like scrappiness of early Door of Hope, but we are not cool anymore. I'll speak for myself. I am not. Wesley's kind of cool. <laughs> I'll just start naming who I think is cool. <laughs> no. No. Uh, uh, more than w <laughs> the fact that a lot of us are now middle-aged dads and moms, uh, there is a, there's an essential sense that we need to recover. All the sort of 
the methodologies around church growth and sort of seeker sensitive and just let's just be as cool as we can so that maybe we can trick people into thinking that Jesus isn't offensive and isn't like out of step and lose touch with sort of the ancientness of our faith and the, the, the displaced nature of like, the exilic nature of the people of God constantly. I think it's misshapen. It's misplaced. And I don't think it produces deep, resilient disciples of Jesus for maybe a, a lot of other good that it does do. Portland doesn't need us to be cool. Portland does not need us to be of a peace with its values. What Portland needs is for us to really know and really love in our deepest places the resurrected, cruci- crucified, resurrected, reigning Jesus and to let his message and his love come through us. That's what Portland needs. So I'm okay. I'm okay that I'm bald now, which is my insecurity is where I wear hats so much. Did you know that about me? That's why I wear this hat. Insecure about it. Now you know. Now you can encourage me to not wear a hat on Sunday. Tell me it's like dishonoring God or something. (laughs) It doesn't need us to be anything other than to be sincere, abiding, rich, deep disciples of our King. That's what will be ultimately for our cities flourishing. It's good, it's blessing, it's salvation, friends. The cross is alienating, we can't forget it. There's so much more we could say about this passage. I just, I, I, I wanna keep this brief because uh, we've, got, we've got a lot of time. We've got a year and then we've got however many years after that the Lord has for us to keep exploring these things. Um, so we'll be brief now. The last thing I want to say is that the cross is all of these things, but it is also the cross is loving communion with God. That's the point of it. Maybe that's implied in salvation, but sometimes people bifurcate. Yeah, I got saved, and now I don't really know. I don't have any interest in knowing him further. The cross means that we are constantly being called deeper. Listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 20. This is Paul again. For in him all the fullness is Jesus. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The cross is reconciliation between God and all things that will be reconciled. So in the cross, we're reminded that this is all motivated by the love of God. The cross is not this image of like, you know, God sort of like holding his nose to rescue us. Or sometimes there's the idea of like bifurcating the father and the son and like God, the father, he just hates people. He just hates you so much. Jesus is cool though. Jesus is like the guy who will like kind of put his arm around, but hey, he's, he's not so bad if you get to know him, you know, that kind of a thing. Don't buy that. Don't buy that. Excuse me. The cross is the eternal plan of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit together, all three making this decision that would cost them each what they love most dearly, which is himself. It's a father saying, I will bear, I will suffer seeing my only begotten beloved son go through this to save these people that I love. It's the son saying, I will forego intimacy and fellowship for a time with my father, bearing the sins of the world to save these people that I love. And the spirit, 
that loving spirit of fellowship, the third person of the Trinity suffering alongside them both. In all the mystery of the Trinity, we can never separate them out, separate their values, separate their visions, separate hardly anything about them. It's one God and three persons. All three suffered with this plan to rescue humanity. The cross is the love of God. All that considered, it is the love of God for you, for you. It is deep suffering and humiliation to rescue you. It is a full-throated expression of the love of God. And therefore, it is also, this, this word reconciliation implies it is our access to God. It is our access to God. It is the means by which we can approach God the Father and not be, you know, not be foregrounding our sin, but foregrounding Jesus' perfect righteousness. And if it's our access, our reconciliation to God, then it is the key to our abiding communion with God. Intimate fellowship with the God of the universe is what Jesus has purchased for us, friends. Not just salvation, like narrowly defined, but loving, abiding communion. Intimate fellowship with the God of the universe is yours. It is yours through the blood of the cross. And if he is infinite, there will always, 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 of course in this finite life, but even into eternity future, there will always be more to discover and to delight in. More and more contours of his beauty and his glory and his love. We cannot exhaust him, friends. And that starts now. That starts now. There is always more awe. There is always more grace. There is always more to pursue. And so this year, we are going to pursue not just the cross as initial salvation, but the cross as access and abiding communion with God. The cross as fellowship, the cross as intimacy. We're gonna pursue those things with all that we have, confident in his promises and his grace, that he wants that too. He does not desire to be far from you. He wants to be as close as possible. He has already made his home within you via his spirit. He wants us to be aware He wants us to walk in that, confident that that's what's happened and there is more for us to encounter. So much more we could say about the cross, of course, even just in this passage, but the cross is life. It's life and salvation. The cross is timeless and unchanging. It tethers us to something that is bigger than what happens in this space. It tethers us to something that's happening all over the city, all over the state, all over this country, all over this continent, all over this hemisphere, all over this planet. And it's not ours to change. The cross is alienating, so we just count the cost now. We say, probably year over year, every year it is gonna be a little bit more uncomfortable to follow Jesus. It's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable to say, yes, I bend the knee to that king. Yes, I am in process, imperfect though I am, of making his values my values. Yes, I am in process of believing that this, even though it sounds weird and strange and you may be foolish, I actually think this is the best news in the whole world. And there is no one else to turn to. Who else could we turn to? And the cross is loving communion. It's an invitation not just to be content with I am saved, though praise God for that. Praise God that we are saved. 
but also that we are being saved. We are being brought further and further and further into intimacy and communion with him. So maybe just to, to chart a course, I just want to say, I think one of the ways we can get, get a fresh fervor for, 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 for greater depth with God through the cross, through all that the cross has afforded us, um, it takes place in every sphere of our life. And I want to say that, and I will share one small piece of this here, here momentarily when we, when we close, um, having to do with communion. Um, but we are going to take seriously the, the, the sacred, the sacred opportunity to connect with God through his cross every Sunday communally when we gather. That's, that's why we're here. That's why there's, there's all kinds of secondary reasons why we gather, but first and foremost, it is to commune together with him, to encounter him, to experience him, and to offer him back the praise, the worship that he's owed. And so there are going to be different, you know, practices and disciplines that we're engaging with here in Sundays, uh, perhaps in our small groups as well. And there's also going to be a, a call for all of us individually to be pursuing him in your own personal life. Historically, uh, I don't know that I've ever really called us to much in terms of daily practices, weekly practices, monthly practices, whatever they may be, carving out time together, wherever we are, to pursue him. Think at the most basic level. If you want to go deeper through the cross, the first two places to start, the most foundational disciplines that if they're not part of your life, I would just say, let's do it. All of us, together, individually, and then coming together to celebrate, and then in small pockets of community and other ways, commit ourselves to prayer. To say, like, we think this is true. We think there is actually communion with God. That God of the universe actually does avail himself to us. That we actually can speak to him. That he actually delights for us to do that and for him to respond and to move in our lives. So to, to call us to a daily practice of prayer that could look a number of different ways and to a daily practice of scripture to keep coming back to the written word, the spirit-inspired written word, to make it a daily part of our lives. Something that we're not just doing when we're, you know, a small group or Bible reading group or whatever it may be, but it's something that we are saying like, this is where I meet with him. This isn't just rote habit. This is a chance for connection with the one who made me and who gave his son to save me. And so at the conclusion of the series, um, we're going to share some resources to help each of us commit and some just ideas for a, a few simple disciplines in our personal lives. Again, some daily, some weekly, some monthly, that we might just have common language and goal for everyone who calls this church home to go deeper. And there's grace upon grace for all of it. We will fail, we will miss, we will whatever. And there's grace. Grace will never be lost in this conversation. But we're at least holding something up and say, that's where we want to go. And as we gather together, even on Sundays and in our community groups and all the other places that we gather, it's as a group of people who are deeply fighting for communion when we're alone or with our families. We're deeply fighting for communion with God when we're in our small groups and then we're coming together and we're celebrating and even further experiencing that communion when we're here together gathering on Sunday mornings. So this, this sermon isn't where that depth happens. It's just to say, like, that's where we're going, Door of Hope. 
That's where we're going together over this coming year. So let's pray that God will set fire to the kindling that we've gathered and that we're going to continue to gather. Amen?